Welcome to the ADV Moto Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Slateball, and this is episode four. And on uh, each episode, we choose a theme and then talk with guests about that theme. So this episode, the theme is gratitude. So pause for a second and just think about gratitude in your adventures. What what does gratitude mean in the context of ADV riding? It could be an experience with other people. It could be something that you just feel through the experience of your adventure. So on this episode, we have awesome guests. Um, our first guest is Eglaz. She joins us from Zagreb, Croatia, where she is currently kind of stuck right now uh, due to many circumstances in the world. Um, but you get to meet her and hear about how she got into motorcycle riding and some of her adventures where she felt gratitude. And then we meet Kurt and Martha Forget uh, from Black Dog Cycle Works, and they talk about how they felt gratitude through a huge life experience that they have. So let's get started with Egla. Now I want to preface this that uh, the only Wi-Fi that she could find in Zagreb was at a coffee shop. So you're going to hear all the sounds that go with coffee shops. You're going to hear the the grinder and um, the clanking, people having conversations. So um, I apologize ahead of time that there may be some loud background noise, but this is the best that we could do in Zagreb, Croatia in uh, October of 2020. So bear with us. I know there's going to be some background noise, but it's worth it uh, for our chat with Egla. So enjoy. So I'm here with Egla. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, and it's an honor to have you. So um, she has, if you haven't heard of her, just go Google, um, was ADV to rally. Is, is that correct? It's just ADV to rally. And then her name, Egla, A-G-L-E, or excuse me, E-G-L-E. And you'll see a, a ton of stuff on her. And um, yeah, for, first off, tell, tell the listeners a little bit uh, about yourself and how you got into ADV riding. Well, see, the thing is, I didn't know that what I was doing was ADV riding in the first place because that was in 2013 and I was just backpacking around Peru. And somehow, you know, I kept meeting people on motorcycles and they just looked like gods to me. They would show up on their bike alone, you know, and we were traveling the same country, same places even, but they had completely different experiences. And I was like, wait a minute, what's going on there? So I asked one of them to, uh, to teach me to ride. Uh, it was um, Ryan, this, this guy from California. He was traveling through on, on, on his dirt bike. And instead of laughing at me, because just it was completely random. I was just with my backpack and, hey, dude, can you teach me to ride a bike? And he was like, okay. <laughs> and that's how the whole thing started. So he taught me to ride a little bit. And then I bought a, a 150cc Chinese bike in a local washing machine shop because it was a very small town and there was pretty much nothing there and I got my little Chinese bike and uh, and it was great it was fantastic because I had no idea you know this is my first bike ever didn't know anything and it was great and uh, I didn't know that Chinese was kind of you know unspeakable or whatever in the ADV world because I didn't even know about the ADV world in the first place so it was great and uh, I thought yeah I'll just ride around Peru for a little bit but then I ended up at the Bolivian border and I figured well it's right there yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and what were those first two years like? I mean, those those first two years, like on 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 that small bike, was it just kind of like 
you know, learning not to crash or, you know, what, what was the... What, Oh no, I crashed plenty, but see the beauty of this tiny bike, I mean it it looks it's tiny to me now. But back then once again it was a great motorcycle and you know it was absolutely magnificent to me. And when we went to buy that bike, Ryan told me, dude, please get at least a 250cc, because you'll be crossing the Andes. You'll need that. But of course I had no idea what CC even meant. And I went to the blue bike because the 250 was like this puke green, and I went to the blue one, and the blue one turned out to be 150. So off we go, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely ridiculous right now, but back then it just made perfect sense. I did crash a bunch of times, but because it's such a small bike, my speeds weren't exactly death-defying, you know. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, once once I first encountered off-road, that was in Bolivia, um, I had no idea. But it was all sand, mostly, <clears throat> and crashing uh -huh. in sand, it's kind of soft, it's fine. And then picking that bike up, no problem, because it's like 100 kilos tops, right? Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of mishaps, like I misjudged terrain a lot, like for example, you know, this 300 kilometers, uh, it's not a big distance even on a tiny bike, but when you factor in that you're going to be crossing the Andes, yeah, it's a big distance. So I learned a ton just kind of as I went along, but um, I didn't have like proper luggage, I just strapped my backpack on the back of the bike, I didn't have proper gear at all, so whenever the weather turned bad, you know, I was soaked, I was freezing all the time. Once again, I didn't know that there was a better way. And and I, especially in Argentina and Chile, I think, <clears throat> I kept meeting these guys on these big GF bikes. And for some reason, the thing that I was most jealous of was not the bikes, because they just looked like, I don't know, alien spacecraft to me at that point. But it was their tag bags. I got jealous of their tag, the, I think tour tech tag bags, you know, these big things. And I got so jealous that I took my sleeping bag and strapped it on the tank so that I would look like a real rider too with the, you know, with the thing on the tank. So it's, yeah, once again, completely ridiculous and funny now. Back then it was great because I didn't know any better. I'd not ridden any other bikes. <coughs> that bike worked just fine for me. It got me to Ushuaia and then back to Bolivia. And, and, and so, yeah, it was, it was pretty great. Yeah. And you said, so did you come to, to riding later in life or did you grow up riding or, or what was that like? No, no. I learned to ride in Peru then and there. I was backpacking and then I just asked this guy to, to teach me to ride. And in Peru, everybody rides simply because, because it's cheap. And so it's not a big deal, you know, and they don't require a motorcycle license, by the way. So my car license is fine. And uh, yeah, I just learned there. And then kept on learning as I went along, pretty much. Yeah, nice, nice. So, how how did you get from there to? I mean, you, I mean, your 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 um, your handle on Instagram is ADV to Rally. So, how did you get from that little bike in Peru to doing doing rallies? You know. Oh, man. <clears throat> oh, it's Another ridiculous story, but uh, so after this almost two years in South America on this little bike, uh, I kept running out of money, you know, and that became a constant problem. So I said, okay, have to pack this in, go back to Europe, get a job, you know, save up a bit and then go again. <clears throat> but once I did get to Europe, I kind of got sucked in and I was in England because I decided, well, I don't know anything about motorcycles. It's time to learn. Why not get a job with motorcycles? So I got a job at Honda as a salesperson. And it was wonderful in a lot of ways, but in a lot of other ways, it was just like I got sucked in into this culture that you have to have a certain bike and you have to have certain gear and you have to. It was all about big bikes, and I was like, well, how does it be a 
real adventure rider. I need a good bike. Trouble is, I still didn't know much about bikes, so I got myself this horrible secondhand Yamaha XJ900 and try riding that off road. That was a fail. Then I got a Yamaha TDM850, which is another just monstrous, horrible bike. It was too big for me at the time. It was, once again, you know, used, kept breaking down. Like, it was absolutely horrible. Um, and then finally, I decided, okay, it doesn't matter. I'll just go. I'll just go into I don't know Africa and just work it out. As it just, I just needed to leave that place because it was, it was just not. I felt like I was in the matrix, you know. So I was done with that. And then it just so happened that I went to Horizons Unlimited uh, meet in, in in Wales, and I met uh, my now ex partner Paul. And it was like, hey, let's ride around the world together. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that whole thing happened, and then we ended up buying two DR650s in Arizona, uh, riding around, uh, doing parts of the Trans-America Trail, Trans-Canadian Trail, back into the States, Mexico, Cuba, and then we ended up in South America again, where we <coughs> were split, and then I continued um, traveling on my own on that DR. Uh, its name is Lucy, short for Lucifer, so it's not a she bike, it's a he bike to say. And... Um, yeah, I ended up in Peru, and uh, at the time, so I was freelancing for a bunch of motorcycle magazines, including GDB Rider, and I realized that Rally Dakar was going to be in Peru only that year, because normally it's three or four countries, isn't it? But yet yeah. that year it was held in Peru only, and I was in Peru. So I talked to my editors, and they were like, yeah, man, it would be great if you could chase it and, and write about it, but the accreditations are crazy expensive. Like, it's, you know, it's a lot. So you need to find a way to, to get into the bivouac on your own or else it's not happening. And I, I kept telling myself about, you know, by that point that I was not really interested in racing. I'm not a competitive person. So this whole rally thing, like, yeah, well, it's there, so I'll go, I'll go check it out. But I wasn't really expecting much. Um, so to get into the bivouac, I had to, to get access and I couldn't afford these, these crazy um, accreditations with the ASO. So what I did, I reached out to some, uh, some of the Lithuanian uh, racing teams and asked them if they needed help because I was in Peru already. So, you know, because there's always these last minute things that people need to take care of and it's easier from, you know, from where I was. And a few of them did. So I was running around for two weeks doing hotel bookings and buying SIM cards and just, just stuff like that. That's really insignificant, but but it's just last minute stuff. And uh, <clears throat> some of them eventually ended up saying, hey, do you need a bivouac access? And then so that was that. Um, and I also had to do a border run to Chile because my Peruvian visa was running out. So I had to do 1,500 kilometers there and back just right. to get that done. Um, and it was crazy because we're on New Year's. And so, yeah, that was a bit nuts. But anyhow, um, and still I was planning to chase the Dakar for two, three days, see what's going on, and then maybe just keep keep on traveling. But the second I set foot in that bivouac in Lima, oh, my gosh. I knew that I would not miss a second of this thing because it was absolutely insane. I was so fascinated. I stuck with the Dakar for the whole 10 days. It was crazy. I was sleep deprived and exhausted the whole time. It was just absolute insanity and madness. But I just got so hooked that I thought, no, nah, man, I, I have to, I have to, I need more of this. <clears throat> so eventually I got an invitation to raise the Hellas Rally Raid, uh, which is one of the biggest uh, European rally races. Shipped my bike from Chile to Europe and, and, and entered that race. And then, uh, yeah, I've just been hooked ever since. That's awesome. So this episode, we're talking about 
gratitude and um what are some of the times in your your vast experience um whether it's you know riding to the border or the chile border at, at new year's or <laughs> i don't know that that's, sounds like an amazing story in and of itself but um <laughs> what what are some of the times that you have felt the most gratitude uh in your adventures I think when I got to Patagonia, because uh, I was born in a country that does not exist anymore, the Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, when it fell apart, I was still a kid. So I don't really remember <clears throat> much, except, especially not some of the, the really bad stuff. But the one thing I do remember very well is my dad was always obsessed with traveling. <clears throat> Sorry. Just absolutely obsessed. And so he would read me Jules Verne and books like that and, and, you know, would look at old maps and stuff. But the problem was you could not leave, right? We were on the wrong side of the Iron Curtain, so you could never go west. That was just a no, ever, right? And, and that, that's, that's what I grew up with. Um, and so um, when finally, you know, Lithuania regained independence in the 90s and then um, the borders were open all of a sudden and... You know, 15 years later, I am now in Patagonia, the place that I've only ever read in books that I thought, you know, I thought I would never even get to Paris, let alone Argentina. Like, no way that was going to happen. And now here I am. And I called my dad. And yeah, so stuff like that. And it still keeps happening to me because sometimes I'm just like, how, how am I, you know, traveling all over it and I'm doing all these things because... Okay, that's where I'm coming from and now like how is that even possible and then it was the same when corona hit and everybody got stuck in lockdowns and, and, and everything right and a lot of people were posting on social media that this is the time to re-evaluate re your life and your priorities whatever and what do you want to do with your life and stuff and I was just like yeah no I'm good just let me go just open those borders but I'm actually quite happy with with my homeless motorcycle life and, and so that was a big one as well for me yeah 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 i think i find you know i don't know if you've ever found this like when i've been on longer rides or longer trips you know I, i've kind of found like a almost like a flow you know kind of that you get into and and for me it's like that gratitude you know kind of emanates once you kind of hit that flow it kind of emanates out of like how what a gift this experience is you know because kind of like what you were talking about there's people who you know literally can't travel for you know, po you know political reasons or whatever um or you know like or they just decide decide not to you know and you just realize what they're when you do get to travel like you realize what they're missing you know and and you just feel this enormous gratitude that you know you get to be here at this moment you know on this bike and in this you know vista wherever it is in the world and like have this experience and it's just i don't know it, it, you really can't describe it you, you i guess you just kind of have to experience it you know that's uh, yeah, or I, the, my last rally for the season was the Dinaric Rally, uh, which is um, a three-day race uh, here in Croatia. And it's the first edition ever, so everything is new for everybody. And, uh, and it was really gnarly. It was more enduro, hard enduro than rally. So for me, I got like, you know, I, I was suffering. <laughs> so it was the bike, because once again, you know, the DR650 is not exactly a rally bike. Definitely not hard enduro bike, for sure. 
There's a lot of suffering involved, but by day three, everything just clicked, you know, because they put us through so much abuse in the first two days that the third day, I look at some of these steam hill plans and stuff, and I was like, all right, let's go, instead of being like, no, we need help doing that. Um, and so that, yeah, that flow state, that's exactly what happened when you're riding, and, and it's almost like you're not even conscious about certain decisions that you make, and everything just clicks together and just going for it. And it's the same thing, like, how this is incredible. And, and, and all these views in the generic Alps here in Croatia, I, I never even knew that stuff like this existed in Europe. Europe is crowded, yeah. it's packed. Stuff like that doesn't happen. But, you know, right here it did. So, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's... Uh... It's getting kind of noisy in there again, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a, people demand coffee. Christians are very serious about their coffee. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. Um, like, so you had mentioned risk. And, uh, like, what, what about, you know, when you do a rally, like, what is it the risk that appeals to you in a rally? Or what would you say? Um, no. Uh, the reason why I got so fascinated with the Dakar was the 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 impossible things so when you look at the malimoto guys right or the privateers they're not toby price and they're not ricky brabeck and they're not pro riders not factory riders they do not get featured in any of the cool helicopter shots and none of those things um they're ordinary people you know a lot of them are just they, they have like day jobs and stuff right they're just like you and me in a sense and they're pulling off this absolute insanity in the desert and it is absolutely impossible, but here they are doing it. That just blew my mind. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If nothing is impossible, then what is out there? <laughs> so that's why I got hooked. And, you know, uh, when I did the Hellas rally last year, I was absolutely useless. I came dead last every single day. And so as a sporting result, I did a little better at the next one, at Hispania rally, and a little better at the next one. But as a sporting result... I mean, it's miserable. It's ridiculous. It's, it's you know, it's nothing to talk about it. But if I can do a little better than I did the last time, then that's fine. So the only competition for me is me. If I can beat my own record and beat my own result, that's great. I have no illusions of ever placing anywhere, you know, in the top, whatever. That's just not going to happen because um, I'm not a great writer. But I'm doing this because because nothing is impossible. And yeah, then, and then you get into the state of flow, which is absolutely incredible. You improve your writing like crazy because when you're writing alone and I always write alone, you're not going to push yourself much. You're going to write quite conservatively because if you're on some remote mountain trail, you don't want to crash. You don't want to break a leg there, right? But in a rally, you can really go for it because, you know, there's all this medical staff on standby. you got a tracker. Somebody will come get you, you know? <laughs> so there's like that element. Uh, there's, of course, the people because everybody is competing out on the tracks. But back at the bivouac, it's like this, like it's, I don't know. Everyone's just helping each other out, and then the, the people are just absolutely fantastic. And so, yeah, it's a way to experience the state of flow, have stupid fun, improve your riding, and and just you know, after each rally, it's like you're coming down from a high. I I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's really good. I, I like what you said earlier about about having that risk and you know the risk being able to get you in that flow and, and kind of once you're in that flow like the gratitude kind of kind of pour pours out of that yeah yeah have you had any situations where you know maybe it, it wasn't that flow state but it was just like you literally survived something 
you know, and you felt gratitude that you're not, you know, that you survived whatever the, the situation was. <laughs> well, there was a lot of survival at the Hellas rally, uh, simply because it was my first one and it's a seven day race. So the fatigue and the exhaustion adds up real quick. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, it, so, um, I had a moment where, um, I think it was day three or day four, maybe day three. <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> I think that day the SSVs and the quads went before the bikes. It's kind of rainy. And so there was one section of the track which is mangled. Just horrible, muddy ruts that just completely destroyed by, by all these four-wheelers. And I was raining and I kept getting stuck over and over and over again. And, and once the, I got stuck once again, like axle deep, I just couldn't get the bike out. It's a DR650, you know, it's a bit heavy. I have this yeah. huge safari tank, like it is not meant for rally racing at all. And I just could not, just physically couldn't get it out of the sticky mud. And I just sat on the ground covered in mud. It was raining, it was miserable. And I'm looking at my tracker and and, and rally trackers, they have this, uh, you know, they, they, when you stop, the, the little light flashes and you either press OK button or SOS button. So if you're injured, you press the SOS, they can get you, right? And I'm looking at that flashing little light and I was just so tempted to hit that SOS button because then, you know, they would send a sweeper truck, somebody would pick me up, you know, somebody would help me get the bike out. It'd be so good. Uh, but in the end, they didn't, and I got out of it. And that day, it was miserable. I did not make my time. I got sent back to the Pavak. I mean, it was just... But in the end, I was I was grateful that I didn't go for the SOS button, and I dragged the bike out and, and went through the whole miserable thing, um, because every little thing like that just teaches you so much afterwards that it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. It kind of, I, I, think, I think when that... When you're in situations like that, I mean, it can't help but change you, you know, and and kind of, I think, looking back on those situations where, like, at the time, you know, it was, it was really, it was really bad, you know, and, and dire, but on the, on, you know, kind of, in retrospect, you know, you're kind of thankful um, that, that those situations happen. And then I think you start to look for those situations again you know because where our our minds are selective and our, our memories are selective you know and what we remember we already only remember the good things and then you go oh yeah that wasn't that bad you know we put our put ourselves back in the back in that situation you know situations again you know, kind of. but i also think the whole uh, comfort thing is it's not great for humans like uh, um you know people sometimes ask me because i've been on the road for Seven years now, um, but you don't have any security, you know. You don't, you don't have any safety and stuff like that. But uh, this one time uh, in Argentina, back 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 when I was traveling on that little bike, I ran out of money. I was in Tierra uh, del Fuego, uh, this little town, and I had ten Argentinian pesos left. Don't ask me how, but it happened. And I'm just sitting in a gas station, with ten pesos, which is like a dollar maybe. You know? mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, here we go. All right. I ended up getting a job at a local horse ranch, training horses, and I stayed there for a couple of months. They saved up some money and kept on going. Later on, you know, I figured out a way to, to have an income on the road, so I freelance for magazines, for I do copywriting, I do stuff like that, so, so now it's better. But I would rather have kind of like trust or faith or whatever in my own ability to figure things out and find solutions rather than have whatever perceived safety net out there 
I, I don't know if that makes sense. So I'd rather yeah. know that whatever happens, I'll be able to find a solution and figure it out rather than have something nice and comfortable and, and never have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I think I think that's a good way to be because otherwise, like you said, human beings need we need challenge. We need you know we need some kind of struggle. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we just kind of atrophy. You know. <laughs> well, we used to be like nomads and explorers yeah. and sail into the unknown seas and, and walk to the North Pole and, and do all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And now, like we're not hamsters. We're not supposed to live in these tiny little boxes and just spin our wheels. I don't know. Yeah, no. I heard it described to me once. Uh, there was a a, a a rally racer who who said, uh, you know, because because I I was I mentioned to him how like you you feel like the kind of kind of that flow state. You know, you get into this this zone or this kind of zen when you're riding, and you know, he equated it to you know our history as hunter gatherers. We're always constantly looking for danger and scanning for danger. You know. And, you know, that that's bred into us, you know, over the history in our DNA. And so when we're on a motorcycle, that's constantly what you're doing. You're scanning for obstacles, you know, for things that, you know, whatever as you're riding. And so, you know, doing that for a certain amount of time, you know, kind of takes you back almost to that that primal state uh, that i guess and and um, that was his interpretation of kind of kind of that thing but yeah uh, i totally agree that's that's a good comparison absolutely yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and that's the thing like a lot of people go like well but it's not easy you know to live on the road or to try first rally or whatever it is that you want to do right around the world or go for it doesn't matter you know but it's not easy well yeah but why do you want things easy What's this obsession with easy? Netflix is easy. Like, what are we talking about here? Right yeah, yeah, and we only we only get one shot at it, right? You know, so it's like, why, why waste it? And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, thank you, uh, Agla, for being on the podcast. Uh, it's such an honor and, and uh, yeah, wonderful time to, to speak with you. And, uh, man, I hope someday down the road I'll get to attend one of the rallies. And, um, yeah, I hope our, our paths cross. I had a friend uh, once say that the world is round, you know, so our paths will cross someday. So, yeah, that would be cool to go riding sometime. Yeah, I think it is going to happen because it is a very small world. And, you know, once again, thank you so much for for inviting me. And I apologize for all the coffee shop sounds. But this is Zagreb and this is Helsing Center. So <laughs> thank yeah. you so much. Sometimes we experience gratitude not through things that we've gained, but things that we've lost. Um, I'm excited for you to meet Kurt and Martha. Here they are. So I'm here with Kurt and Martha Forget of Black Dog Cycle Works. Uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. You guys are the first people that are like in my, my neighborhood, so to speak, uh, to be on the podcast. So I live in the inland northwest uh, here in Spokane, and they're just up uh, kind of up the road, you know, about an hour, hour and a half away from me. But um, we ride a, a lot of the same roads and, and trails around here. It's just amazing riding. That's one of the gifts of the inland northwest. And uh, anyway, so I could geek out about the riding around here forever. But um, but yeah, suffice <laughs> to say, I'm excited to have you guys on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So 
Um, today we're talking about uh, uh, gratitude, and um, as soon as I, I, when we chatted over email um, back and forth, you're like, like, oh, this is this is huge to us, and uh, something that is very big in our lives. And um, and you said uh, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording here. It has to do with with uh, writing and really community is is kind of what you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I mean, um, to be honest, Kurt and I have so much to be grateful for, especially when we think about just motorcycling in general, how it's brought people together, how we've met some amazing people that are really lifelong friends. We've taken some epic trips. But when, when, when you gave us this you know, theme of gratitude, we um, immediately thought of a really, really important relationship in our life that we are extremely grateful for. And so what we'd like to do is tell the story of that relationship and how it's kind of altered our life and makes us look at life in a much more um, grateful way. So um, I'm going to let Kurt start with who this person is. So uh, Carrie Littell was one of our closest friends. Uh, when we lived in the Marin area, uh, we got to know Carrie, and uh, he was the owner of Marin BMW Motorcycles, which is how we kind of met. Um, and just uh, an amazing guy. And, and we knew off the bat that we were going to be lifelong friends. Um, Carrie and I actually, when uh, I was with him on his first GS ride, uh, I was fairly new to the sport. He was newer than I was. And uh, we said, oh, let's go do a, a day ride together. Um, and it turned into a midnight mud fest that neither one of us would ever forget. It was a total show, mm -hmm. um, but a really you know, good bonding experience for sure. Um, and you know, needless to say, we had a lot in common with the GS and the BMW motorcycles and all that. And uh, he, he was a, a, a really, really dear friend. Hmm. So yeah, you know, um and, and there are a lot of people in this industry that know Carrie. Carrie was and created the most incredible community uh, in the Bay Area. So Marin, Marin County is right over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. So he drew people really from the city, even though there was a BMW shop there, they came out to Carrie's shop because he created such a great electric kind of um, environment. And he was the giant, a giant, gentle, kind man. Um, and well, I'm gonna let Kurt continue with his story. Because <laughs> there is a story to, to carry. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, Martha bought her first GS from him. Uh, Jim Hyde of Raw Adventures actually bought his first GS from Carrie. He came all the way up from Southern California, you know, to buy a GS from Carrie. Um, so he, he had a lot of influence, uh, you know, I think in the industry and, and certainly in the GS market, because um, that's what he lived for. He actually got into motorcycling. He started an RT forum years and years before. And uh, as he got out of his tech job, uh, he got into the, you know, bought Marin BMW motorcycle and really built it into a second home for a lot of us uh, that were, you know, passionate riders in the area. So if you fast forward 15 years, I was actually filming um, the Idaho BDR uh, with the BDR group and um, about halfway through the ride, I received a call from uh, Carrie's, sis Carrie's sister uh, letting me know that he passed away the night before. 
Um, mm. And needless to say, I was gutted. Um, he, he was he just 50. just turned fifty. Uh, he had moved to Australia to kind of start over. It just landed a great job, and was really kind of ready for this next chapter of his life. And um, to get that call was was really tough, obviously. And it was it was kind of it was appropriate that I was in the middle of something that we both love doing. And um, you know, certainly every every trip I've taken since then, you know, I feel like Carrie's been along for the ride with me uh, to experience. You know, we had a lot of plans to travel together. He loved going to Baja, um, you know, been down in Mexico. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of trips ahead of us that we had planned to do. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he's not right next to me, but I feel like he's along on all my rides and, and all my adventures for sure. Yeah. So then um, we got a call from some people in the Bay Area. They were organizing a memorial ride for Carrie. And it was like maybe a month or two later, yeah. um, a friend of his, was coming over from Australia. His family was going to be there. Um, and it was going to be in San Francisco and typical of that time, we were stressed out with our, our, our life in general and with the business. And, you know, our first response is like, Oh, there's no way we can do this. We can't make it. And, And I think a lot of us go through that. Just life in general is just, we, quickly dismiss those things that are super important to us to do stuff that's just stuff. So um, we, we just kind of said we had this major epiphany and that epiphany started a whole shift in our life that really started with the memorial ride. Um, and we looked at each other and said, we can't not go. This is way too important um, to not go. So, um, you know, it's just like at that point, you know, our life is flying by us and we're not living it. And it was that idea of starting to live your life instead of your life living you. Um, so we did, we, you want to talk? Yeah. So, so, you know, one of the major lessons that came from his passing is, you know, a theme that we've really adopted is that tomorrow is promised to no one. So, you know, you need to live your life now and you know, not wait until retirement, um, you know, to do things. You know, life is going by way too fast for all of us and, and things are hectic and, and everybody's life is busy. But, you know, sometimes you've just got to stop and make time for what's really important. So we literally, we shut down the business for 10 days we hopped on our motorcycles. We took the scenic route from, cause it was, you know, the Bay Area is a thousand miles away from North Idaho. So um, we decided to take the scenic route, all back roads, went through Yosemite. We decided to um, meet up. Um, the Horizons Unlimited meeting was that like the weekend before. And we had a bunch of friends going and like, you know what, we're gonna go spend some time with some friends and just hang out and, and enjoy ourselves and make the most of it. So. You know, looped up to the Bay Area. Uh, the Memorial Ride was up the um, coast of Northern California, which Karen and I used to ride all the time. And, you know, got to meet uh, or reconnect with a lot of good friends. Uh, his, his mom was there. Uh, she came over from Australia sister. where she was living. Yeah. His sister, a lot of close friends. And, you know, to tell stories of, about Carrie. And it was just an amazing day. Uh, really enjoyed it. And it was, we were so grateful that we took the time to do something that was that important instead of just, you know, 
the normal rat race that a lot of our lives are, um, that it was really, it, it was, it was a big deal for us. Um, and you know, and then you want to talk about, right. So, the, so while we're on this 10 day trip, we literally, we, we, shut the business down for 10 days. That was a pretty major thing to do for anyone is we just said, this is it. We, we, and we needed to take that time and, and literally talk about gratitude, grateful that we were able to be small business owners and do that. Cause not a lot yeah. of people that work for other people have the opportunity to do that. That, um, so along this trip, we started to kind of reevaluate our life and, and how we were li living it. And is there a way we could be doing more to live life now, knowing that Carrie died at 50? Live life now. And uh, we kind of hatched a plan on this trip. And um, the plan was to change the business model. To really, we had always talked about it, but let's make this totally, totally mobile business. Meaning that Kurt and I could manage it from anywhere in the world. And, and we have. I mean, we've managed it from um, Mexico, we've managed it from Alaska, we've managed it from Canada. So, so it, is, it is possible to do. And with that, we decided that we wanted to get out of the Pacific Northwest in the winter and go um, be in an area that we really loved and that was in uh, the Baja, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so we decided we would get a, a, a winter black dog location called Perro Negro Sur for South in um, just South of Mulahe in, in the Baja. So we went down to build a house. So we had a, a, a winter headquarters and that was all hatched on that trip. Um, and then we started to make some other moves to really make the business mobile. Um, and how many years ago was that? Six. Six years ago. And it works. Wow. Yeah. It truly works. Yeah. Um, it definitely yeah. does. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, Karen, you know, with Martha Steen about it in like how, you know, it gives, it gives a chance to get out and explore more, which is what definitely a big thing that drove Carrie, Carrie's whole life was to get out and explore. And that's what we're doing. And um, another, yeah. you know, in addition to tomorrow's promise to no one, another phrase I've heard a lot that, that, I always keep in mind is that, you know, to, you know, have adventure before dementia. <laughs> so the idea of waiting till your retirement to enjoy life, I mean, none of us know if we'll get there. So it, and you know, by the time you get there, you may not be able to do the things you really want to do. So, um, and I think it, the, the feedback we've gotten from a lot of people is it's really inspired them to figure out how they can change their life in some way to get out and do things now and not just wait to retirement, you know, step away from the grindstone once in a while and really do things that enhance your life. Um, you know, whether it's a, you know, whatever kind of exploring it is or, you know, whatever adventure they want to take. Um, so it's yeah. been, it's been great to, to get that feedback that we've inspired some people to, to look at their own lives and figure out how to do that because it is yeah. possible. Yeah. Cause it sounds like, you know, like you looked at that, that 10 day, um, that 10 day journey or, you know, shutting the business down for 10 days was a risk when it actually that defined your business, you know, which is pretty, pretty incredible, you know, cause I, I know like as a small business owner myself, like 
that feeling of like you know leaping not knowing exactly where the landing is you know out there and and um oh scary <laughs> yeah it's really scary but that's yeah. that's how great things happen you know and i think and that's that's the beauty of it and and um yeah and i i've felt that too that sense of gratitude if i'm out on like a wednesday afternoon or something you know and just like you know over lunch break or afternoon or um you know to be able to, to go out and just kind of ride and clear your head or or have that you know that that moment is 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 pretty amazing so yeah, yeah. no question yeah well good well thank you guys so much for for being on the podcast um i always ask uh guests where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or um you know follow you guys on social media yeah, we have uh, Facebook and Instagram, and we're also on BlackDogCW.com as our website. Uh, so all of our, you know, our background, you know, some history about us is there, and as well as all of our parts and that type of thing. And of course, we're available by phone as much as we can be. Uh, we don't have a call center, so it's you know we don't not twenty four seven, and you call, you're going to get one of us to answer. And uh, but you know sometimes the phone's busy or whatever, and it'll go to voicemail. So you know we ask people to be patient with us. We're a small family business, and we're obviously passionate about this sport, and that's why we're into it. And um, it's you know we feel very fortunate. Um, we have, I, and the other thing is we have. We, I mean, we're so grateful that we have such incredible customers. I mean, yeah. they're. We have customers that are now literally lifelong friends. And I don't know a lot of small business owners that can say that, but we've got a list this long, you know, of people that have become really, really dear friends. And so for that, we are also grateful. Yeah, and we, we say it often that we just, we have the best customers on the planet and they're just awesome and they're super supportive and uh, it's been terrific, great experience. Yeah. Yep. And they should come right up here in the, in the Northwest and see how amazing it is. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. We Absolutely. highly recommend it. And in yep. Baja as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sure. And we invite people right. to stop by and see us there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kurt and Martha. And thank I'll you. see you down the road. All right. Okay. That's good. Thanks, Nathan. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. So before we wrap up episode four, you're going to get a sneak peek at one of the gear reviews in the upcoming November, uh, December issue of uh, ADB Moto Mag. And we have Dan DeMeo with us, and we're going to talk about tank bags and rear bags. So I'm back here with Dan DeMeo, and uh, he's returning on the podcast to talk about more gear. And this time it is a tail bag, uh, specifically the trails and dual sport and adventure tailbag. Uh, so welcome back, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you. So talk a little bit about um, this bag and kind of your experience with it, because you kind of got to knock it around a little bit, right? Yeah, I definitely have used it on a couple different trips. Um, I mean, Nelson Rig's been around for a long time. Um, you know, making and producing gear, you know, well before the whole adventure dual sport craze. So they definitely know a thing or two on designing luggage. And uh, this tail bag has been super useful in, you know, carrying camera equipment, extra tools. Um, did experience some uh, wet weather riding and it, uh, even though it's not titled as waterproof uh the contents definitely stayed uh stayed dry in my experience in the rain with it 
Yeah. Yeah. There's always the debate between hard bags and soft bags. Um, and kind of where, where do you, what's your preference on when you ride? Um, I mean, definitely for shorter kind of back road, dual track kind of riding. I prefer to use the soft luggage and that's kind of where this trails and dual sport bag kind of fits in. Um, I mean, you can run your soft luggage panniers and just use this small, but fairly large tail bag for, you know, like I said, tools, you know, snacks, water, what have you. Um, and then the longer trips, I mean, I'm not a huge luggage fan, as you know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, uh, don't like take tank bags that much either, but, uh, there are a few cool ones out there. So, um, you know, for most of the stuff I do, I definitely prefer the, the soft luggage. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically, um, this one's expandable as well. Um, or that, and sometimes I know, like when I've had expandable bags, they get like super flimsy and floppy. Was this one, it, was it, was it pretty rigid when you expanded or what was that like? It's definitely uh, fairly rigid and, and continues to be fairly rigid. Um, you just have to have a delicate uh, tie down method. Um, mm-hmm. If you cinch it down uh, super, super tight, you know, the, the, the sides do collapse a little bit, but, um, you know, I was able to find a, uh, you know, a tie down point to where it maintained its structure. Yeah. And then as far as attachment to the bike, uh, itself, does it come with its own, uh, straps or is it magnetic or strapped down? Like what's the, uh, it comes with, uh, two straps on each side. So, I mean, there's multiple ways that you can mount it, uh, for on the 1190, uh, you know, I had plenty of mounting points on it. I actually did, uh, try it on the Tenere 700. Um, and you know, it was, you know, even without a rack, it mounted quite nicely to the back of the Yamaha Tenere 700. Nice. Nice. Well, cool. Well, yeah. If, um, and how does this compare? Like I'm looking at a picture here and, um, we'll show you a picture on, um, on the video podcast. If you're listening to this, um, go get the November, uh, December issue of Venture Motorcycle Magazine, and you'll see the review in there. Um, but looking at, uh, at the, at the, uh, picture, Dan, like I see there's a kind of a carrying handle on it too. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, you can take it off the bike and carry it in, you know, where you're going. If you're going into a hotel or a restaurant, uh, it's, you know, quite simple to take on and off the bike. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. Well, were there any, um, I see on your pros and cons you have, you know, it's convenient to carry easy mounting system. Um, and under the cons you had not waterproof and no ring cover options available, but you said, you said the, the moisture wasn't too much of an issue for you. Then No, it wasn't. I mean, I wasn't riding for hours in a downpour or anything, sure. but you know, the rain that I did encounter, I didn't have any issues, um, with the contents getting wet at all, but I'm sure, you know, cause it is not labeled, uh, fully waterproof. You know, if you sure. were on the road riding in hours of rain, I'm sure, uh, you get some 
water penetrating the bag at some point but it would be nice if they offered a you know at least a, a rain cover for those situations yeah well there's always always a grocery bag right <laughs> right right <laughs> grocery <laughs> or yeah, seal everything I've done that in more bags yep yep i've done that more than once yeah so cool well good well thanks dan thank you for being on the on the podcast and uh i'm sure we'll see you again and see you down the road all righty thanks for having me that wraps up this episode four of the adv moto magazine podcast um, we'd love to hear from you you can um, reach us at podcast at adventuremotorcycle.com and uh, let us know what you think of the show if you want to hear other segments or maybe you have suggestions for people that you'd like to hear on the show we'd love to hear from you and um, just hear how you're doing, maybe where you're riding in the world right now. Um, also, if you want to check out the issues uh, of Adventure Motorcycle Magazine, you can pick one up uh, anywhere that uh, magazines are sold. Or if you go to AdventureMotorcycle.com, um, you can uh, subscribe there and have access to the digital editions of the magazine and all the back issues, which is pretty cool, um, and specifically upcoming issues. And uh, the November-December issue um, is going to actually, I got a sneak peek of it, it's like the long-awaited Tenere uh, 700 review. It's kind of a deep dive into the Tenere 700, and uh, you guys are in for a treat. It's, it looks really good. Uh, it's a really good review. So, yeah, check that out, adventuremotorcycle.com. And uh, as always, yeah, thank you for listening and see you down the road.